unless you establish the problem, the challenge of the session, it's going to be really difficult for you to achieve growth. So take your time here. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Welcome back, everybody. I'm J.R. Flatter, and this is Building a Coaching Culture. As always, I'm here with my co-host, Lucas. Hello. And today, I want to focus, refocus, I probably should say, on the core competencies of coaching. I think you all know that we align ourselves with the International Coaching Federation. Uh, I've recently gone through some training, additional training. Part of our core competencies is to we have a reflective practice and continue to develop our craft. And so the PCC Marker Assessor Training is an excellent training provided by the ICF. It's in hiatus right now for a few days, a few weeks, as the ICF rebuilds their website. But if you get a chance, you have to be a PCC to do the Assessor Training. If you are a PCC and you're interested in growing your insight into the core competency, I strongly, strongly recommend this training. Well worth the investment. So Lucas, I'm just going to riff through these if you don't mind. You and I can talk about them, ask any questions you might have about them. So here are the markers in their entirety. I know it's a pretty small screen, pretty busy. You can find this out on the International Coach Federation website, all of the eight competencies and all of the markers within the competencies. So what the markers are all about is as a mentor or as an assessor or as a trainer, when I'm observing coaching sessions and assessing whether or not they're in fact passing for a particular level, ACC or MCC in my case, or ACC or PCC in my case, and MCC and others, are you demonstrating the competencies of coaching? So all of the markers are, if I see that as a demonstration of the competency in your coaching, then I mark it. If I see a counterexample of it, let's say you do something opposite what the marker suggests, then I would mark that as a contraexample. Or I could simply mark it as not observed. And when you're thinking about this level of clarity, this level of focus, to a great extent, you're in an academic environment when you're testing. So when you do your mentor coaching, or if you're the five phases of getting an ICF accreditation, one of the phases is mentor coaching. And when you're the fourth of the five phases is performance evaluation. So Likely when you're in mentor coaching, you're going to receive a performance evaluation. And this is what we're watching for in those sessions, those one-on-one sessions where you're coaching and we're looking for these markers or counterexamples or not observed at all. And, you know, if you think about, you know, being overly formulistic perhaps in your coaching, there is an opportunity to do that if you focus too much on these competencies, but having been coaching for a while now and had just taken this training and you know first I was a little bit resistant saying this is overly formulistic but having gone through the entire arc of the training now you know I'm, I'm revisiting that and saying there's really val good strong value in taking this close of a look at the competencies and this close of a look at a particular session or 
arc of, a, of three sessions as we watch in our training. We do three one-on-ones in each one of those with the same leader. And so you really get an opportunity to see coach coach across the arc of a session and the coach coach across the arc of a relationship. And you're watching for these. As you coach in the real world, uh, as you get farther and farther into your coaching journey, you know when you are or are not demonstrating these. And you know when the opportunities present themselves to perhaps wander away or ask a contra question. It would be by exception, but certainly when you're coaching uh, in the world, there's an opportunity to be less formalistic and less formal than these markers might suggest. So I just lay that as a groundwork for this conversation that you and I'll have for about probably the next 30 minutes, Lucas. And so please jump in here at any time. So in our training, you and I talk about the arc of a session, whether it's 30 minutes, whether it's five minutes, because we know we coach as a coaching style of leadership. And you might just have a couple of minutes and ask the leader that you're having the conversation with, do you mind if I coach, right? if I grow your leadership? might be an hour, like you and I have set aside for this conversation today. But there's an arc to that session, and we need to be mindful of where we are, whether it's five or 50 or 90 minutes. And we're watching where we're at with any particular competency during that arc of that session. And it's not linear, and I don't mean it to sound linear, that you move from one to two to three to four to five to six to seven and then finish with eight. But there is a bit of linear element to it but it's not completely one through eight. Again, you're not going to see all 40 plus of these markers in any given session. And you wouldn't want to. It would be just catastrophically formulistic if you tried to squeeze all 40 of these into a particular session. But as your assessor, as your mentor, I would want to see you demonstrate the vast majority of them across the arc of a relationship. But there is a bit of a beginning and an end to each session. You can revisit the beginning and the end depending on where the leader takes the dialogue. But certainly there's a beginning of a session and how do you lay the groundwork for that session? And certainly there's an end of a session and how do you appropriately close the session without being abrupt, or without perhaps celebrating what might've been discovered. So we'll talk about that as well as we make our way through these markers. Any thoughts as we get started? I think just based on what you were saying about you know, feeling like maybe it's it could be restrictive or it's saying, oh, every coach needs to be exactly like this. I think some coaches, like everybody needs to be proficient in all of these, but some coaches are exemplary and, you know, mm-hmm. in facilitating growth and maybe they're, they emphasize certain things more. So I think that's where you have the freedom uh, to kind of customize right. and your, or and tailor your approach. Yeah, we're halfway through, a little over halfway through a global cohort that we're teaching right now. And so these new coaches are halfway through their train, education and training journey with us. And they're knowledgeable enough now to know when they're wandering away from this academic idealism. And I don't say that in a negative way, because I know that's what it is. I remember sitting for final exams in school. I remember sitting for my doctoral dissertation. And I knew to get a doctorate, five people had to sign the front cover of that. And I had to defend it in a very academic environment. When you get your performance evaluation on your way to an ICF accreditation, that is that academic setting. 
these markers are that academic evaluation. As your coaching matures and you're coaching in real situations, you're almost certainly going to compromise and make conscious and unconscious decisions that might be contra to one or more of these. I did a coaching session yesterday live in front of 60-odd people. I did another coaching session in a training environment live in front of about 30 people. And then we do one-on-one feedback, one thing you loved and one thing you thought I could have done better. And I made several wanders away. I made several mistakes as a coach, none of them catastrophic, but we're all human. We're all going to wander away from these. And so they are, in some ways, an academic idealism. And I accept that. And I accept its validity. And I hope we'll convince our listeners as well. So let's just jump in here. If you looked at the, the PCC markers here, there are not only eight competencies, but there are four domains of those competencies. So competency one and two belong to the foundation domain. Three, four, and five belong in the co-creating domain. Six and seven belong to the communicating domain. And finally, eight stands alone in cultivating learning growth. So we'll talk about those four domains and each of the competencies within. Part of yours and my training methodologies, we always talk about a couple of minutes of mindfulness before we jump in to a coaching session. So for us, implicitly buried in the beginning of a training session, And certainly I would suggest at the beginning of a coaching session, let's purposely stop, stop what we were doing and get ready to learn, get ready to coach. And that for us is what the mindfulness piece is all about. So every deck, we probably have 200 decks that we teach. Every deck we teach starts with this mindfulness. Emotion surprises insights, what's going on in your mind and body, what's surprising you, what are you learning? So... The first competencies are in the foundation domain, and it's purposely foundation and not foundational because the foundation is what the other competencies stand on. Foundational would mean these are the competencies that all the other competencies flow from, and that's not what it is at all. These are the two competencies that coaching stands on. So demonstrating ethical practice and embodying a coaching mindset. And these two are different than either of the others in that they're largely philosophical. You either demonstrating them or you're not. And I'm watching as I'm evaluating whether or not you're demonstrating the ethics of coaching, the core values of coaching, and whether or not you're in coach, uh, embodying a coaching mindset. We talk a lot in our training about I have my coaching hat on. And what we're encompassing in that single statement is you're embodying a coaching mindset. So I think it's important as you look at one in the first sentence in one, the first word is familiarity. So all the ICF expects us is that we are familiar with the ICF code of ethics. And so as I'm evaluating you, one of the questions we ask in our performance evaluation is, which ethical standards was most prevalent to you in this session? And just talk to me about how you demonstrated it. For us, that's sufficient familiarity, yes or no. Uh, Did I observe it or not? ICF aligned with the ICF code of ethics and will remain consistent in the role of a coach. It's important to note here, and I know you've heard this many, many times before, but the difference between ethics and morality. Ethics are organizational. And so when the ICF is asking us to align to their code of ethics, 
You're asking us to align our morality, which M in morality is me, with the ICF code of ethics. And I don't think that's a, an undue request because any organization you choose to align yourself with, you're going to align yourself with the ethics of that organization, or you're simply not going to be able to work with them. You and I work in the same company. We have uh, core values. When you start, you're informed of what those core values are. When you're interviewed, we talk about the core values and are you think you could work in that environment. And that's what the ICF is asking here. Uh, remain consistent in the role of a coach. The other competencies explain in, in greater detail what that means to be in the role of a coach. Number two, you know, embodying a coach and mindset. That's the role of the coach. You're not a mentor. You're not giving advice. You're not counseling. Or you're, you're truly wearing the hat of a coach. And then number two, embodies a coaching mindset. Open, curious, flexible, client-centered Coaching sessions are all about the client. They're not about the coach. We facilitate their growth. I think it's important that it points out that it's a process. So if you think what a process is, there's inputs, there's actions, there's outputs. And so what are the inputs of your coaching? What are that process? What's the method? And then what are the outputs? And as you look at the competencies, the outputs of growth take place across the professional journey. Uh, you and I call that the arc of the relationship. So again, not all of these competencies are going to be demonstrated in a single session, nor will it be uh, even across the, a few sessions, but across the arc of the relationship and certainly across the arc of your practice, your coaching practice, you should be demonstrating all of these competencies. Two is unique in that it's an aggregation of other competencies. And so you see 4.1, 3, 4, 5.1, 2, 3, 6.1, 6.5, 7.1, and 7.5 all aggregate to form a coaching mindset. And the last couple are just rather academic. You know, you, as I'm watching you, some minimum number of these have to be demonstrated. And then finally, the fifth step in getting an ICF accreditation is the coach knowledge assessment. And the coach knowledge assessment is entirely 100% focused on these competencies and the core values and the ethics. So that's the foundation. This is, as I said a moment ago, they're largely philosophical. You're not going to see as clear of demonstration, as absolute a demonstration during the coaching session of one and two. Are they yes or no? But when we dig into three, four, and five, that's where you really start to see the session begin to unfold. So this domain is co-creating the relationship. Over the arc of a relationship, come together as brand new leader and coach. And so even though you've known each other for a long time, perhaps, or maybe you just met, the coaching relationship doesn't yet exist. And so this domain is all about creating and sustaining that relationship, coach to leader. And if I were to accept that there is a beginning to a coaching session, and I do, three, establishes and maintains agreements is the beginning of a coaching session, but it's also the beginning of a coaching relationship. It's hard for me to get through the day without quoting Albert Einstein, but he said, if he had 55 minutes to solve a problem, or if he had 60 minutes to solve a problem, he would spend 55 minutes identifying the problem and five minutes solving it. And for me, in many ways, Establish and maintain an agreement is that upfront, heavy identification. What are we going to do here in this session? 
you'll see that each one of these finishes within this session. All four of the uh, markers under establishes and maintain agreements talks about in this session. What it's explicitly talking about, and all of these are, is across the arc of the relationship also. So one, two, three, four, what do we want to talk about today? What would be the best use of our time? How do we know when we're getting there? What are some obstacles that we might confront? What about this challenge is important to you as a human being? That's what one, two, three, and four are all about. And what I would tell coaches, spend some time here. Because unless you establish the problem, the challenge of the session, it's going to be really difficult for you to achieve growth. So take your time here. There's a few key words here. Identify or reconfirm. So the leader identifies at the beginning and then they might pivot. And so there's a need and an opportunity to reconfirm. But also what it's implicitly saying is to clarify, did I hear that right? And for you and the leader to agree, that's what, in fact, they want to focus on for this session. So that's what three to one, two, three, and four are all about. Take your time. If you don't, and this is not for me, uh, this is directly from the ICF. If you don't accomplish 3.1 in the session, you can't accomplish 8.1. And we're going to talk about that relationship later. If you don't establish three and have clarity about what are we going to do in this session, uh, what about us is important to you, what might be some obstacles in between us and success, what are some metrics that we'll know when we've been successful? Unless you do those, it's really difficult to achieve the rest of the session. So I'm going to pause there and see what your thoughts and comments might be. Yeah, I mean, we're often asking, uh, why do we do this instead of this? Why why are we allowing the leader to lead the session and, and not giving advice and, and things like that? And they all come back to these competencies. And like thinking about these specifically, like if you're thinking about coaching in terms of, you know, exploring an idea with another person and, you know, letting them lead you and, and seeing where, where it goes in order to accomplish someone's goals. If you don't set an agreement or set a goal or set some parameters behind it, you could very well, you know, just not accomplish anything. And maybe you have like a really good conversation and it's valuable to the leader, but it doesn't necessarily accomplish what they set out to do initially. So in order to have that freedom and that flexibility, you have to form the foundation. No, I, I agree completely with you. And depending on where you are in the arc of your relationship, you might let them wander. You might very well let them wander for a session, wander for a second session. And again, this is you have informed wandering away from these ideals. I've been in many sessions where we visit and revisit and visit again, establish and maintain agreements, and the, the leader remains noncommittal, or we can't come to any explicit agreement. That's fine for a session or two, but eventually I'm responsible for the arc of the entire relationship, and I better figure out a way to begin identifying and then pursuing some specificity. Cultivating trust and safety, absolutely essential to a coaching relationship. And so one, two, three, and four talk about how, as a coach, will you demonstrate to me, the assessor, that you are building this trust and safety. Acknowledging and respecting the client, we call them leaders, 
unique talents and insights in the coaching process. I just did a, like I said, a moment ago, coaching session yesterday. I was asked for a volunteer and someone who be vulnerable in front of their peers and immediately saw this was a very strong topic for this person and how difficult it was to be that vulnerable in front of their peers. So for me, that's what 4.1's asking me is to recognize their insights, talents, and work. Because that's a lot of work. It takes a lot of courage. Support, empathy, and concern. We teach in our programs. We're never going to know exactly what it's like to be that person, but we certainly can do our best to put ourselves where they are, coach them from where they are. And that's what 4.2 is asking us. Empathy is not sympathy. Empathy certainly is recognizing and appreciating where that leader is. Sympathy takes it a step farther and accepts it. And perhaps you begin to feel sorry for the person or accept at face value what they're talking about and don't continue to coach them. We're not asking you to be sympathetic, but rather empathetic. 4.3 for me, you and I talk about building our house of leadership. 4.3's classic house of leadership. It's their life, it's their experiences, their feelings, perceptions, concerns. Uh, we have a number of case studies that the very reason they're a case study is to show the, the uh, service level lightness of the scenario. An inexperienced coach might say, well, that's not significant. But then you begin to dig into them. You're complying with 4.3, accepting and supporting. You quickly find out it's not the nail. There's something going on here. 4.4, classic uh, asking how we're doing in the session. Am I asking the right questions? Are we on the right track to what we first talked about? A good friend of mine says, feedback is a gift. And it truly is. And this is us as a coach, showing some vulnerability, seeking feedback. And then five, maintaining presence. Acting in response to the whole person. So in the eight competencies, three times you see this parenthetical, the what and the who. You and I coach human beings. We coach the leaders that are in the room. That's the who. So 5.1, acting in response to the whole person. What is important to you? Uh, what about this challenge is impactful to you? The what is the, the challenge in the session. But for me, we teach always leading back to the who. Partnering with a client by supporting them to choose what happens in this session. We did that 3.1, 3.2, 3.3, 3.4, but are we maintaining that? When they pivot, are we pivoting with them? Demonstrated curiosity, demonstrated curiosity for their discovery, not for our discovery. 5.4, one of the things you and I teach is never ask a question that they know the answer to, because if they know the answer, they're not going to discover. And our curiosity is probably for our own information. So things like, how many children do you have? How, what? How old are they? Where do they live? Are you married? Those are not coaching questions. Those are not 5.4. They're demonstrated curiosity because I'm curious. A coaching question would be, what about the ages of your children might be impacting this challenge? That's a discovery question. And that's curiosity for a coaching outcome. 5.5, the pause, such a powerful coaching tool. We call it the purposeful pause. When I'm pausing, I'm allowing you time to continue contributing and I'm allowing you time to think. When I'm pausing, I'm doing exactly the same thing. One of the ways that I evaluate 5.5 .5 is if you ask questions immediately, 
when the leader stops talking. I know if you do that, that you're not listening because how could you ask a question until I'm done talking and you've had an opportunity to think about what I said and then form a coaching question? So the pause is very practical. It's method as well. It slows the pace, creates calmness, no sense of urgency. I mean, you're seeing how these are kind of leading into each other because, you know, forming trust and safety, I need to know that what I say is being received and respected. And, you know, you're not just following your own whims, but letting me lead it the way I want to. And then I was thinking about with the curiosity thing, you're also... um when you ask those what questions, you know, the questions that they already know the answer to, you're probably introducing the person or the topic into the session. You know, if they bring up the children or the problem, then I'm being curious based on their perspective. Exactly. Yeah, I just did a session today and I had a hypothesis in my mind. But until that leader brought that issue into the room, I wasn't going to allow myself to, to, to go there. I may have, had, we, had I thought it was the right time and place, but my judgment at the time said, don't do it. And then finally, she brought the word into the room. And I said that very, very explicitly, I'm so glad you did it because I've been thinking about this for a while now. That's it, cultivating trust and safety, maintaining presence, establishing and maintaining agreements, pivoting with them, but also being disciplined in the curious regard, curious for their growth, not for your own curiosity. All right. Communicates effectively, our third domain. You might think that's explicit on its face, but let's dig into this. The two competencies here, listens actively and evokes awareness. Listen actively is tough. It's, it's exhausting. Personally, I limit myself to two coaching sessions a day because I think if I do more than two, I'm not able to listen as actively as I need to. Questions customized to what the coach has learned. So in 3.1, we establish a baseline. Four and five, we're maintaining presence. We're establishing trust and safety. Six now, we're customizing what we're asking. So I just talked a minute ago about the pause. That's where you take time to customize that question and make sure that it's relevant and based on what you're learning. In this, one of the sessions I did today, I had an original hypothesis that midway through the coaching session evaporated because what I learned disproved it and we went in another direction. That's what 6.1 is talking about. Two, three, four, and five have some specificity to them. Two being the words they're using. Three being their emotions. Four being energy shifts, nonverbal cues, body language. Five being self-perception. So it's their house, it's their world, it's their perceptions. We support them. We don't say things like, no, that's not relevant or that's not important. Six and seven, classic mistakes oftentimes by new coaches, stepping on the leader they're coaching, interrupting them, asking questions, boom, boom, boom. I know you're not listening if you're doing any of those things. For the very reason the pause is so important. Simply reflects. Uh, one of the words you and I use in our training is crisp. Be crisp. Don't stack. One of the greatest things I le learned last year was the acronym WAIT. Why am I talking? If I'm talking, I'm not coaching. So your leader should do the vast majority of the talking. And then seven, 
again, there's no absolute linear flow to this, but certainly there's an arc. It's often circuitous and we should follow that. But seven is when we begin now, I wouldn't say wrapping up, but recognizing the arc and perhaps thinking beyond this section and what are we learning and what might we do at that. So seven and eight are generally as the arc is coming back down, but there can be two arcs in a single session. So you can start at three and four and five and six, again, not linear, but finish that. And if there's sufficient energy in the room, as listening in actively will tell you, all right, what else might we address? It's still the arc starts over. You might be in the middle of a session and, and the leader pivots. And now, now you start a new arc. So seven's where we begin to explore their current way of thinking and, and how we might move beyond that current way of thinking. So seven is identifying the very thing, right? Right here, right now, what's going on? 7.2, this is where we're starting to look beyond what they're thinking. So one of the things you and I talk about is self-limiting perceptions, self-limiting behaviors. How might you reframe that? How might you move beyond that? That's what 7.2 is. 7.3 is very active. Um, what can you do thinking or feeling to expand the ways that you're thinking about the what? Expand the ways you're thinking about the who. I think 7.5 is so important. You're sharing with no attachment. So we don't judge. We don't influence. That's what they mean by no attachment. Some philosophers would say it's impossible for a human being to do that. I largely agree with them because we're informed by our experiences and our education and our ethnicity and all, so many other things, our gender. But we do our best as coaches to have no attachment to these observations and intuitions. We might call them hypotheses. They're informed guesses to some extent. And we have to be careful when we're sharing them. Clear, direct, open-ended questions, language that's clear and concise, uh, allows the client to do most of the talk. So elemental to good coaching. So what do you think about when you think about communicating effectively? I was noticing that um, some of them are things that just require training and practice and mm -hmm. repetition and, you know, in that environment. And, and then some of them are things that you can pick up as a beginner, like talking less than the, than the leader mm -hmm. or um, not interrupting. So some of them are more like, okay, you should be a good communicator. And these are things that good communicators do, which just the more you do it, the better you get. I find I'm finding. Cool. All right. On to eight then. So eight has its own domain cultivating learning and growth in some ways, the heart soul of coaching, eight facilitating client growth, nine markers, again, the who and the what, and this is where we're beginning to end the arc. And so what progress have we made? There's a direct relationship between 3.1 and 8.1 because 3.1 informs 8.1. If you didn't do 3.1, you can't accomplish 8.1. Doesn't mean the session's a failure. Doesn't mean you fail. It's just that one informs the other. So thinking about what did we initially identify or where did we pivot away from and what did we pivot to? And how did we do? What did you learn about yourself? 8.2, the who. And that's what we're most interested in. 8.3, what did you learn about the situation? And 8.456, that's where we're starting to really move beyond the session and think, okay, where do we go from here? Or if we're finishing the arc in the middle of a session, where do you go from here with this particular challenge? How are you going to use this new learning 
So always, always, always ask, what do you know now that you didn't know 30 minutes ago? What do you know? What did you discover about yourself? What did you discover about the challenge? And then begin exploring, what are you going to do with that once you leave here? Thinking, reflection, actions, conversations you might need to have. What other resources might you investigate? 8.7, the accountability piece. Probably one of my greatest learnings of this assessor training. I largely thought of this as accountability that I can help with. What can I do to help you be accountable? But there's a couple of important elements here. There are many other ways to hold them accountable themselves. They can journal, best friends, significant others, self, right? How can we measure that? How can you hold yourself accountable? Would, do you want me to help you be accountable? Not forcing it, but uh, volunteering it. 8.8, we love celebration. We celebrate in our coaching sessions. It's an important part of building trust and safety. It's an important part of growth. We don't affirm. And so might celebrate a decision you've made, but we wouldn't affirm it's the right decision. 8.9, we don't want to leave the conversation hanging out there. So something to the effect of, hey, is this a good place to stop? I've had a couple of coaching sessions recently. The energy just seemed to evaporate from the room. So I bring into the room 8.9, hey, and uh, we, you and I talk about don't coach to hours, coach to sessions. And so, hey, is this a good place to stop? What do you think about when you think about facilitating client growth in your coaching? One thing you mentioned with the accountability, um, not necessarily being that person for the leader necessarily, because, I mean, at some point our sessions are going to be over. You don't want to become, you want to help the leader, but you don't want to have them be like overly reliant on like, oh, this only works if you're meeting with me every week. You know, you want them to grow beyond it and and be able to sustain that after the however many sessions are over. Yeah, we just did a case study today, and it was, you're in the 11th of 12 sessions. How does that inform this session? And there is the arc of a relationship. A lot of the relationships that we have extend beyond the original envisioned time frame, uh, but probably with less frequency and with different expectations than that initial burst of coaching that you might have. So there they are in their entirety, uh, the PCC markers again. Again, this is an academic tool, but also a very practical tool. I've been coaching for a long time. Uh, I've been training coaches for a long time. And having gone through this training, uh, I found it immensely valuable and informative. One of the things you and I teach when we teach coaching is an approach template. Every coach has their own method. You know, build some process to how you approach your coaching. And this training really informed my approach template. So I know that was a bit of a dry conversation. I apologize for that, but uh, just wanted to quickly wander through those eight competencies with some renewed, refreshed understanding of them. Any closing thoughts? Yeah, um, usually we're in the realm of abstraction, like, Oh, you should do this. You should, or like if we're training other coaches, oh, this is something that might work. But this is kind of like where those abstractions come from. This is, this was what makes somebody a great coach versus, you know, somebody that just started. How much of these are they incorporating into their approach? So, yeah, I was just teaching Declan how to swim. And I was saying, okay, you got to swing your hips and he didn't get it. So I'm like, okay, do the chicken dance, you know, but he doesn't understand like 
why we're swinging our hips necessarily, but he can get the chicken dance. So this kind of puts that science behind it, I think. Yeah, I, I love that analogy. Yeah, for me, it's learning how to read music and play by theory versus playing by ear. Some of the best musicians in the world play by ear. The average person has to learn how to read music and, and uh, what the chords are. I know you're going through all that. Uh, for me, this was you know, learning how to read the music or getting better at reading the music. So well worth the investment. Made my coaching stronger. I guess that's the bottom line. All right, my friend. See you later. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.